Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Parklawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Parklawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. We are beginning this new year with a theme of the crossover. And the Lord gave me a word for the church today. And it's a word of faith. It's a word to connect with your faith. Whether your faith is a mustard seed size or whether you have small faith or whether you have great faith. And that is that the crossover has already been completed. It's finished. It's finished. It's finished. There are many people that, that start well, but they don't finish. It's often at the beginning of a new year that sometimes we make vows and we make resolutions. We make promises to ourselves, promises to God, promises to our loved ones. And you might be good for about 14 days. You start well, but you don't finish. It's amazing to me as I watch uh, how sport has changed, and particularly the sport of basketball. I love basketball. I love to watch it, uh, occasionally play it. But when I was younger, I played a lot of basketball. But there's a mindset today that it is more valuable and more exciting to see a person cross somebody over and break their ankles. And the crowd goes, ooh, ah, did you see that? He crossed him over. He broke his ankles. Y'all know what a crossover is. Some of y'all look at me like, I don't know sports. I don't know what he's talking about. Well, it's doing a fantastic move while you're dribbling. You don't get any points for dribbling, by the way. But we get excited about the crossover. And then after, oftentimes, after they've crossed him over, they miss the layup. But we're still so thrilled about the fact that they crossed over, but... Don't miss it that they didn't finish. You've got to finish. It's important that this year, as you begin this new year and this new decade, that every one of us not miss the crossover. That every one of us finishes. That we become finishers. Many of you know that we are in a season of pastoral succession. It's a season of crossover. We don't want you to miss it. It's not just about Bishop Harvey and Pastor Marcus Arrington uh, passing a leadership baton of senior leadership, but it includes you too. It includes this entire church. Paul Morton said, Lord, whatever you're doing in this season, don't do it without me. If you're healing in this season, Lord, 
don't do it without me. If you're blessing in this season, don't do it without me. We, we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it. I want you to make a declaration, and we're going to make several declarations at the beginning and the end of this service, and following those at the end, we're going to invite you to communion in the Lord's table. I want you to say this with me. We will, we will. find, find. Follow, follow, and fulfill the will of God. Amen. We're not going to miss it. In Romans chapter 12, Paul said, Brothers, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I'm telling you, God has a will for us. If you thought the last decade and the last year was good, I'm telling you, he's got so much more in store for us. But I, I'm determined I'm not going to miss it. I'm going to find it, I'm going to follow it, and I'm going to finish. I'm going to fulfill the will of God. Otherwise, we're going to miss out on his best. He said in Corinthians that eyes not seen and ears not heard. It's not entered into the heart of man the things that he's prepared for those who love him. God's got more for us. We're going to spend quite a bit of time this month and, and next month in the book of Joshua. Because Joshua was the successor of Moses and Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Egypt is a type of slavery it's a type of sin it really represents being unsaved and unconverted when you when the children of Israel were in Egypt they were a slave to Pharaoh whatever Pharaoh and the taskmasters told them to do they did it without hesitation it was a place of not enough it's as if they were living under a curse but God raised up a deliverer in Moses and he brought them out victoriously under the blood through that Passover lamb and the blood smeared over the doorpost which is symbolized through Jesus Christ. And, and today, Jesus says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember my death until I come. But God brought them out, not just so they can be in the wilderness. He brought them out so he could bring them into the promised land. Some of us are content just being in Egypt. Others of us are content in slavery. At least we got manna every morning. Manna at night, manna at the, in the evening time. But God has so much more for us. He didn't bring you out just to leave you in the wilderness, to have you wandering around for 40 years. He brought you out to bring you into the promised land. He's got so much more that he wants to give to us. As I said earlier, the crossover has already been completed. It's already completed. It's, it's finished. And the reason it's finished is because our God is a finisher. He's the master of the crossover. He don't just cross over, but he goes in and dunks the ball. He finishes what he starts. Philippians chapter 1 tells us that uh, Paul says in the New Living Translation that I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. In Hebrews chapter 12, he says that we ought to run this race with our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and the, what do my Bible scholars say, the finisher of our faith. The faith that he started, he finishes. 
If you're going to run to win, you've got you to keep your eyes on Jesus. I'm telling you, God has already completed it. He's faithful. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, his sixth final word while he was on the cross was, it is finished. It is finished. Some of us have probably seen the, the Easter movies and movies about the, resu- uh, the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection. And I've, for years, I've had a picture in my mind that when Jesus was on the cross, that he kind of whispered, it is finished. Excuse me, Jesus, what would you say? It is finished. Then he breathed his last breath. I want you to just wipe that image out of your mind. He didn't whisper it. The Greek translation says he shouted it. The Lion of Judah roared, it is finished. It was a triumphal cry. Not a, not a cry like I halfway been defeated and I hope that it's finished and I hope my people's sins are forgiven. I hope that their healing is secure. I hope that their victory is, is assured. I hope that their, their families are prosperous and blessed. I hope that their future is bright. No, he shouted it. It is finished. Not in weakness. Not in frailty, but in strength. In power, in authority. Get that picture out of your mind that Jesus is just, he's just this victim, this captive to the Romans and to Satan and to the demons in hell. No, this is a, this is a mighty man of God. That all night he was falsely accused and tried and for nine hours the next morning he stood on his feet. Some of us can't stand half a day of work. For nine hours he stood on his feet being manhandled and beaten and whipped and slapped around. And then for six hours, he hung on the cross. Come on, Jesus put in some overtime for you. And his sixth word on the cross was, it is finished. Because of Calvary, our sins are gone. Because of Calvary, your healing is finished. Because of Calvary, you are assured of God's provision, of his protection, of his presence. It is finished. The Greek word that he spoke when he was on the cross, when he says it is finished, is the word tetelestai. Tetelestai, which means that it is finished. It means that it stands finished. It's a job well done, but it also means that it's a job that cannot be added to nor taken away from. Everything that he has finished for you is done, it's sealed. It's sealed in heaven. It's sealed by the blood. The devil can't touch it. The devil can't steal it. No demon in hell can rob you of it. It is finished. It's a word that servants used when they were told by their master to complete a task. The servant would go and do it and come back to the master and say, Tetelestai, it's done. It's a word that artists would use when they would paint a portrait or they would, they would sculpt something they would say to Telestai. Can't add to it. It's done. It's complete. It's finished. Can you imagine Michelangelo uh, molding the, 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 the statue of David saying to Telestai? And then somebody else comes along and say, you know what? I think he needs some shoes on. <laughs> no. You can't add to it. A masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. God has already finished you. 
When he says it's finished, he's talking about me. You need to make that personal. You need to believe it and walk in it and receive it. There's nothing you can take away from it. There's nothing that you can add to it. So when we come to the first chapter of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, the Bible says that after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land that I'm giving the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. When he talks about every place where the sole of your foot treads, he's talking about marching. He's not just talking about a walk in the park, you know, wherever I go, I guess the Lord is just with me. No, he's talking about marching. He's talking about taking ground. It's already finished, but you've got to march in it. We're about to cross over. Forward. March. Every place where the sole of your foot marches, it's already done. It's already yours. But there's two, two words, two phrases in verse 2. And in verse 3, they just let me know that the crossover is completed. The Lord says, prepare to cross over into the land. Listen, that I am giving the Israelites. When somebody tells us that I'm, I am giving you something, we're waiting on it. We're like, okay, I guess this is going to come next. But I looked at the tense of that, the verb tense. Now, some of y'all graduated magna cum laude. I graduated thank you, Lord. So I had to do a lot of research in this message. So y'all better say amen, okay? I went back to English class to learn participles and, 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 and present tense and perfect tense and all that kind of stuff. So y'all better say amen or something this morning. But in verse 3, in verse 3 of that chapter, he says, I have given you every place. Verse 2 he says, I am giving. In verse 3 he says, I have giving. Wait a minute, Lord, are you giving it or have you already given it? And so I did the verb tense. And when he says, I am giving, it means that I do give. He's speaking in the active voice. That I'm doing it right now in the present time. It means that it's an unbroken condition. I am giving you the land. It's done. When he says, I have given, he's not talking about necessarily past tense, but the, the verb tense is the perfect tense. That's different than past tense. The perfect tense means an action that has been accomplished in the past, but it has results that are occurring in the present. I have given you. It's a continuous, ongoing effect for an undetermined period of time. So nobody can take it away from you. It's already yours. He's already given us the land. So all we got to do is just march and take it. Take possession of the promised land. And before we take communion, there's, there's three things I want to share with us on things we need to do. How do we possess the promised land? Since the crossover is completed, there's some things that we have to do in order to experience it. Because it's already done, 
but you've got to, by faith, receive it, believe it, walk in it, march in it, and experience it. First of all, you've got to begin to see God in a different way. You've got to see God as a mighty man of war. We've got to stop seeing him as this, this weak, milk-toast Savior hanging on the cross saying, It is finished. You got to see him as the lion of the tribe of Judah who roars. You got to see him as the one who took the keys of hell and death from Satan. You got to see him as the one who triumphed over the death, hell, and the grave. You got to see him as the one that before he ascended, he first descended to the lower parts of the earth and he put his head on his foot on Satan's head. In fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, where the Lord promised that I'm going to crush your head through the seed of the woman and you're going to bruise his heel. You got to see him as a mighty man of war. You got to see him as one who, who, who is determined to give you victory in every area of your life. God's not content with just a little bit of dominion. He wants total dominion. He wants total victory. And Joshua understood this. It's not that Moses did. Moses had his place. Moses had his season of, of bringing them out. But Joshua was anointed to bring them in. Joshua understood war. Joshua didn't, weep, didn't shed a tear when he looked back over the Red Sea and he saw Pharaoh and his army drowned in the Red Sea. Something rose up within him. He got a new perspective of God. Because in Exodus chapter 15, verse 1, it says in the New King James Version, Then Moses and the children of Israel, on the other side of the Red Sea, they sang this song to the Lord. Come on, you need to get some songs. We're about to cross over. They said, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him my father's God and I will exalt him the Lord is a man of war he is a man of war the Lord is his name Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea he has chosen captains also his chosen captains also drown in the Red Sea God is a man of war Joshua understood that Joshua led the battle in the wilderness against the Amalekites while Moses had his place up on the mountain holding his hands up. And as long as he interceded in prayer, Joshua had an anointing to destroy the enemies of the Lord. Joshua understood warfare in Joshua chapter 5 when they were crossed over the Red Sea. He came to the first city of Jericho, and before he got there, in verse 13, it says, Joshua, when he was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him, not afraid, went up to him and asked a question, are you for us or are you for our enemies? In other words, he says, listen, now, if you're on our side, I know we're going to win. But if you're on their side, we might as well surrender right now. And he said, the man said, neither. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. This was a, this was a theophany, which is a word that means a, it's a, it's a pre-sighting of Jesus before his birth in the book of Matthew. We see Jesus throughout the Old Testament in Theophanies where he appears to certain people and he appears to Joshua as the commander of the Lord's army. 
telling you he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. You got to see him as a, as a mighty man of war. And when he said that, Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. Joshua would never fall down in the presence of an angel in worship. God wouldn't allow that. But Joshua recognized that this is not any ordinary angel. This is not any ordinary man. This is God. He's a mighty man of war. He didn't come to choose sides. He says, I've not come neither for you or for them. But I've come to take over. Take off the sandals from the place where you're standing for the ground is holy. And Joshua did so. See, God is a man of war. He's a man of war. Now, God, God is not a, he's not a brutal God. He's a, he's, a, he's a warrior God, but he's also a loving God. The reason that God fights is because God loves. You let somebody break in my house. I'm not going to be praying in tongues while they're breaking in my house. I'm not going to get the, oh, can I pray for you? You must have had a hard childhood. Or, you know, you, you need the Lord. Can I make you something to eat? No. I'm going to jump into my war mode because I love my family and my possessions. <laughs> See, God loves us, so he fights for us. God loves holiness, so he fights for holiness. He loves your future and your dreams, so he fights for your futures and your dreams. He hates anything that threatens you walking in, finding, following, and fulfilling, finishing his will. He hates sin because sin will deter you from walking in the will of God. He hates everything that harms his people. He is a mighty man of war because he's a loving father. In Noah's day, the world was corrupt and fallen angels had mixed with the daughters of men and they produced an offspring that became giants and they were an anti-Christ, they were anti-God. And what did God do? Because he loved, he destroyed. He destroyed. He loves mankind, but he hates sin. God will do surgery, not murder. He'll cut it off so you can live. If you've got gangrene in your foot or in your leg, God will cut it off so the rest of you can thrive and live. Second thing that we have to do if we're going to possess the land is that we've got to kill the giants that are in the land. Now the Lord drove out the giants that were in the land because, not because he loved the Israelites more than them, no. It was because they, they were a sinful people. They were practicing idolatry. They were practicing sexual immorality. And God wanted to protect his people from that lifestyle. And this people who are already determined not to serve God, God determined, I've got to cut them off. And in the same way, the Lord is saying to us that you and I have got to kill the giants in the land. Now, now understand that the land of Canaan, the, was, was the promised land, was occupied by the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Malachites, the flashlights, the neon lights. All of them lights were in there. They were all in the land. Now, God swore that he was going to drive them out, but the giants that I'm talking about, that we've got to kill in the land, it's not flesh and blood. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against people. It's not an ethnic battle. 
is, is not a male-female battle. It's not a young-old battle. It's not a denominational battle. It's not a, a north-side, south-side, biodoc battle. The giants that we have to kill is the enemy that's in a me. It's, it's, it, it's, the, it's the flesh. It, it's, it's your flesh. Every man is tempted and drawn away by his own lust. It's your lust. Temptation knocks on the door, but temptation knocks on the door according to your lust, according to your flesh, according to your desires. Those are the giants that you've got to kill. Now, the Lord has already defeated the old man. When, when you were saved, and that's what coming out of Egypt represents, it represents your salvation because you came out under the blood, right? They came out of Egypt under the blood. You get saved under the blood. When they came through the Red Sea, that was symbolizing their baptism in water. Now, Pharaoh thought he could get baptized, thought I can just walk across the, the dry ground too, but he didn't get under the blood first. God said, you can't just come into heaven just because you got baptized. Have you been under the blood? So when you come under the blood, God kills the old man and he gives you a new man. That new man, it's, it, it's a servant. When you were in Egypt, your, your old man was the servant to Pharaoh, which is a type of Satan, a type of sin. When God gives you a new man, now you got a new servant. Because that old man would do whatever the master said. Whatever your lust desired, the old man would just open up the door. Come on in. You can have your way. But now you got a new man. And when temptation knocks at your door, the new man don't open it. <laughs> the new man don't want to sin. The new man don't want to give way to the lust of the flesh. So the Lord tells us that we have to we got to crucify our flesh. He's, he's killed the old man, but he won't kill your flesh. you got to do that. you got to crucify your flesh every day. And one of the ways that you do that is through fasting and prayer. Is denying your flesh. The only way that your, your new man will open up the door continually to temptation is some of us are in that place. We're still in the wilderness. We're not experiencing victory. You should be in the promised land in 12 days, but you're still going around the same mountain. It's because you're not feeding the new man. You're not giving him spiritual food. You're giving him fleshly food. You're exposing him to the same diet that your old man was exposed to, expecting the new man to rise up and, and help you live holy and please God. But that old man, he died. You got a new servant now, the new man which is made in the image of Jesus Christ. But the Lord says, you got to crucify your flesh. you got to deny your lust. And that new man will rise up strong in you. And one by one, you will begin to kill the giants that are defeating you. And every one of us knows what those giants are. The last thing that we have to do to possess the land, and this is particularly particular for leaders, is that we have to step over our fears and lead. Leaders have to lead. Leaders have to, listen, we're talking about the people marching into the promised land. Where are the leaders at? Where are the pastors and elders and ministers and ministry department heads? Where are the, where the, where the coordinators at? Are they in the back or are they in the front? 
Because people are going to, they're going to get their cues to either have bold, audacious faith by watching their leaders, or they're going to shrink back. Leaders have to step over their fears. I get this from Joshua chapter 3 as they were just about to cross over. In verse 15, the Jordan River was overflowing its banks. Imagine you're at, the, you're at the bank of the Jordan River. We've been there several times in Israel at the, dead, at the place of the Dead Sea where the Jordan River flows from the Sea of Galilee down south to the Dead Sea. And, and just, just before you get to the Dead Sea, there's this, this river. It's about maybe 60, 70 feet wide. You can, you can see the nation of Jordan just on the other side of it. But you can imagine that the, the river was overflowing its banks. It was tide season. It was, it, was, it was flood season. And God told the leaders, y'all walk over there in that flood. Excuse me, Lord? <laughs> I, I don't think this is my Sunday to serve. I think <laughs> I, I'm on sabbatical. I think it's somebody else's Sunday. I'm not on the schedule. No, God said to the leaders, pick up the ark of God, which represents the presence of God, and begin to walk first into the river. But as soon as the priests carrying the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water at its edge, the water flowing downstream stood still, rising up in a mass that extended as far as Adam, the city of Zarethan, the water flowing downstream into the Sea of Arabah, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off and the people crossed opposite of Jericho. The priest carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant stood firmly on dry ground, not in the mud. Listen, when you step out in faith, God changes the circumstance. The ground was dry. Not only was the water stopped in the flood season, but the ground was dry. You'll only get to experience the miracles of God like this when you step out in faith. You got to step over your fears. While they're standing there on dry ground, all of Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation had finished, not just started, not just content that we out of Egypt, not just content we're in the wilderness, but until we finish crossing the Jordan. So leaders, you're responsible for creating fear, faith, not fear within people. And you do that by your actions. You do that by your leadership. You even do it by your words, by your confessions. I want, I want the media team to put up, put, put up Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Because I want to go through this, and we're going to make some confessions with our mouths. Because our words create an atmosphere. Our words shift the atmosphere. Our word literally shifts the spiritual tone in the environment. It shifts the inside of you by what you say. If somebody's talking down to you every day, you're not going to feel good about yourself. They've changed your atmosphere. So you've got to begin to change your own atmosphere inside of you and around you. And, and the Lord is saying that the crossover has already been complete. It's finished. So in verse 1, he says, After the death of Moses, the servant of Joshua, the, the, Lord, the, the Lord said to Joshua, Son of Nun, Moses is aid. Moses, my servant, is dead. You know what the name Joshua literally means? In the, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, Joshua is the same word as Jesus in the Greek. 
Jesus the Christ, Joshua the Christ. That's, that's, Jesus is a Greek translation of Joshua. So Joshua was an Old Testament symbol of the New Testament reality of Jesus Christ. Two different leaders. So now we're under, we're under the, the last Joshua, the new covenant Joshua Jesus, who's leading us into victory. So I want you to just confess this. I want to thank you, Lord, for my Joshua Jesus, my leader who was tempted in all points, just like me, but has no sin. He is my high priest. He is triumphant over Satan, over sin, over hell, and over death. And I am victorious in him. Where he leads me, I will follow. I will find his will. I will follow his will. I will fulfill his will because I'm a finisher. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, we're not done. We're not done. It gets gooder. I don't know if that's a word, but it gets gooder. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give you. Remember, it's present tense. It's a continuous, unbroken condition. The land that I have given you, every place where your feet set, I am giving it to you. Verse 4 says, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, and all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Now this is a confession that we need to make, that the giants have already been defeated. Your old man has already been crucified. It's already been killed. Now you've got to crucify the giants on the inside. You've got to crucify your flesh. So make this confession. Dear Lord, I thank you that my giants have already been defeated in this crossover. Your cross has made me victorious. And so I crucify my flesh and all of its appetites today. I have overcome sin. I am victorious in Christ. And there is not a giant in hell or on earth or within me that can stand against me. Because verse 5 says this, put up verse 5, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Because God was with Moses. He says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So every morning you need to be confessing. Just say this right now, God, I thank you that you are with me. Amen. He promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Now, it's getting gooder. It's getting gooder. He says in verse 6, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may, may be successful wherever you go. So make this confession with me. Lord, I thank you that you've not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of boldness, a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a sound mind. I confess that I am strong and courageous, and I meditate on your word both day and night. Therefore, I walk in wisdom, 
For wisdom is the principal thing. I meditate on it. I focus on it. I am free from all distractions. And I'm walking in my good success. I'm walking in your prosperity. I will not turn to the left nor to the right. But your word shall be on my lips. Your word shall be on my mind. And your word shall be fulfilled through my hands. Verse 8 says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Put it on your mind so that you may be careful to do it. It's got to be done with your hands. It does you no good just to speak it and think about it. Listen, you got to activate it. you got to put this thing into practice. And then he says, you will be prosperous and have good success. You know, we need to stop confessing the victory of our giants. Some of us, we talk about our giants more than we talk about our victory in Christ. That's why, that's why we're confessing the word today. Because <laughs> there's no giant that shall be able to stand up against you. Because God has already secured your crossover. Father, I thank you right now that we will not miss this crossover season. Because the work has already been completed. Lord, we are prepared. We are waiting in anticipation. Just as you told Joshua, wait, get the people ready, because in three days, they're going to cross over. Lord, nothing shall be uh, lacking. Nothing shall be missing. Nothing shall be lost. We will not miss this crossover season. Whatever you're doing in this season, Lord, don't do it without me. Heartline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parklawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.